Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. I do want to remind you our listener support campaign continues. Uh, you can, of course, send along a one-time donation, support.greatdetectives.net, uh, using the Zelle app to box13 at greatdetectives.net, or by mail to Adam Graham, P.O. Box 15913, Boise, Idaho, 83715. But today our focus is on Patreon support, patreon.greatdetectives.net. Really appreciate uh, all of our Patreon uh, supporters, and if you do support the show uh, via Patreon, uh, you just automatically will have a small amount of money. could be as little as $2 a month or less than $0.07 a day. Just coming out once a month, support the great detectives of old-time radio. And if you do become one of our Patreon supporters, you'll receive my monthly uh, newsletter, which gives you a heads up on things coming up on the program. As well, you get to vote on our summer series uh, that we did e- do each year. Uh, this past year, we did uh, Top Secret. Uh, previous year, we did Summer of Angela Lansbury. And previous to that, we did uh, Great Movies Over Radio. So it's a great way to uh, make an impact on some of the things that we do on this podcast, as well as over at the Amazing World of Radio. So uh, go to patreon.greatdetectives.net, and again, you can sign up for as little as $2 per month. Well, we're going to go ahead and get into Police Blotter which is a series that we played in March of 2014, so six years ago. I'm sure you all remember everything I had to say about it, so we'll just get into today's episode. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Police Blotter was a series broadcast over Mutual in the uh, later part of the 1950s. It was a rare detective program that played after 1955 and wasn't entitled Johnny Dollar. Mutual seemed to do most of, of, of the detective programs outside of Johnny Dollar, although there's also one with CBS that we're going to be getting into uh, in a few weeks. But mostly it was Mutual, and sadly those have pretty much all been lost to the ages. Uh, we've got uh, now three episodes of Police Blotter, and we'll have a couple episodes of Treasury Agent. And there were a couple of other series that I've heard of uh, Mutual doing where we have no episodes at all. Police Blotter starred Bill Zuckert. Bill Zuckert was a great uh, character actor, uh, well-known for his television work, but did a lot of radio as well. Probably his most famous radio was as uh, Detective Lieutenant Louis Parker on Crime and Peter Chambers, which is actually kind of uh, obscure, but that's what I know him for um, over radio. And it was nice to hear him in a leading role. And there were a few actors, uh, Zuckert and Mandel Kramer among them, who begin to get some richer parts over radio when you get towards the... Uh, final days after spending uh, most of their career uh, playing uh, character roles. 
I was disappointed when I saw the two episodes that we had at the time. Uh, only one actually featured Zuckert. Uh, there was apparently a week where he was not feeling well or was on vacation, and so someone else ended up uh, being the lead character that week. So it's like, we only have oh, one week with him uh, in the uh, lead role. And from what I've read, you know, he played the role throughout the series, you know, except for that time he was out. So it's nice now that uh, at least two of the three episodes that are in circulation actually feature Bill Zucker. All right, well, I hope that has explained something. Let's go ahead and take a listen to today's episode of Police Blotter, Murder on the Fourth Floor. Tonight, Police Blotter, starring Bill Zuckert as Sergeant Brad Peters. Name, Kenny Reynolds. Address, 1121 Dorchester. Charge, murder. The heritage that you and I share as Americans has been given to us by many great men, men such as Meriwether Lewis and William Clark. The winter of 1804 was a hard one. Gusts of snow whirled around horses and men that made up the Lewis and Clark expedition. Doggedly, they pushed westward across the plains of the newly organized Iowa Territory and through the Rocky Mountains. Day after day, Clark noted watersheds and trails while Lewis sketched them in on the map. Two more winters passed before they returned, but they had reached the Pacific and claimed the vast, sprawling Louisiana Territory for the United States. They had opened up a whole new country for those who would follow. Their courage helped to build your America. It's part of your American heritage. Good evening. This is Dirk Fredericks, your host for Police Blotter, authentic dramas of police work and the constant battle that goes on night and day against crime. Tonight, Police Blotter brings to life an exciting story dealing with a phase of the theatrical world. So listen now as Murder on the Fourth Floor on... Police Blotter. I'm Brad Peters, Sergeant Homicide. You ever been inside a police station? The phone rings, might be anything from disturbing the peace to murder. Whatever or whoever it is, rich or poor, innocent or guilty, sooner or later I get to know them all. Sergeant Peters, homicide. Howdy, Sergeant. I got a case for you. A genuine case. What is it? Murder. Just plain murder. You better come up here and take a look at the body. Where are you? Uh, 1406 Street. Uh, you take the elevator, you get off on the fourth floor, and then you go down the hall to room 48. I'll be waiting inside for you. What's your name? Roy Downs. Come over right away, because I can't stay here long. I'll be right over, Roy. Just stay put. Room 48, according to the printed letters on the door, was the office of Marvin Jackson, 
casting agent. As I approached it, the door opened. Oh, howdy. A six-foot cowboy in buckskin pants, fancy embroidered blouse, and a ten-gallon hat motioned to me to come in. Well, I'm uh, glad to see you're kind of prompt, Sergeant. Where's the body? Well, uh, this here is what they call the outer office. Now, behind that door there is a private office. You'll find him in there. All right, come along. Yeah. What for? I, I, I seen him already. You, you ain't afraid of a corpse, are you, Sergeant? I just want your company. Oh, well, in that case, I'll, I'll be glad to oblige. Yeah, that's the way I found him. Sitting behind his desk with his head down like he was taking a nap. Mm-hmm. How did you know he was dead? Well, I went over and touched him on the shoulder. When he didn't move, I shook him. Then his head fell back. He was shot through the heart. Is that Marvin Jackson? See nobody else. He can't see a word now, but you should have heard him when he was alive. The smoothest talker I ever met up with. What? He, he could he could talk an Indian out of his tomahawk. Did you do any business with him? Well, not yet, but uh, he kept promising he'd make me another Will Rogers, you know, swinging a lariat and uh, chewing gum and saying funny things, you know, like uh, like everybody's always talking about the weather, but uh, nobody ever does anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's pretty good. Well, in fact, now, I give him $200 to, to get a feller to write me those funny things. And then he was going to book me in a show. Well, it looks like you lost out. Well, that's what made me come up here. I was getting tired of being put off. I made up my mind he was going to give me that book and give me my money back. You quarreled with him? Well, didn't have a chance. When I walked into his private office, he was dead. Uh-huh. I imagine you're a pretty good shot. Oh, hey, now, now, don't you go planting this on me. You can search me. I don't carry guns. Could have tossed it out the window. Now, that's just why I didn't walk out of here. I didn't want to be suspected. If someone saw me, they'd sure tell the police I, I did the smart thing. Maybe. Oh, now, look here. Was Sergeant. anybody in this office when you came in? He was empty. How about his secretary? Well, he runs this office all by himself. He show people sit in the outer office, and he calls them in one at a time. Then there's no one to prove that he was dead before you came in, huh? No. Hey, wait a minute. Ah, I just remembered. What? When I came off the elevator and walked down the hall, a girl came out of Jackson's office. You know her? No. What did she look like? Tall or short, fat, thin, young or old? Oh, she was a young one. All right, what was she wearing? Oh, I can't remember. Roy, are you making this up? No, I give you my word. I saw the girl coming out of Jackson's office. I did. You don't remember a single thing about her? Well, yeah. I guess I do. What is it? She had the prettiest legs I ever seen in New York. Couldn't get any more out of Roy Downs. I decided to let him go. I told him not to leave town. I called the coroner. Then I searched Marvin Jackson's desk. Found a book listing his clients' names, telephone numbers. There were more than a hundred. It'd take a year to investigate. On his desk, there was a daily calendar. On today's date, there was a notation. Juliana, theater. I went through his address book. I found only one Juliana. 
that was under the M's. Juliana Montaigne. But before paying her a visit, I decided to check with the elevator men in Jackson's building. No one remembered taking down a girl from the fourth floor at the approximate time of the murder. But if Roy was telling the truth, the girl could have walked down the stairs. The description was worthless. I headed for the fashionable district where Juliana Montaigne lived. Oh, the police? May I come in, Miss Montaigne? Oh, how rude of me, of course. Thank you. I'm not accustomed to visits from the police. I came to see you about Marvin Jackson. Oh, is he in trouble again? I'll call my lawyer and have him bailed out. Well, that's not quite possible. Don't be silly. I can afford it. Perhaps you don't remember me, Sergeant. Doesn't the name Juliana Montaigne mean anything to you? I was a star when I was 20. Musical comedy. Retired now. Oh, yes. Oh, we must get Marvin out. We're going to the theater this evening. So I gathered from his desk calendar. Such a dear boy. He knows how to cater to a woman, order the best food and the best wine, you know. And you pick up the check, huh? Certainly. I do so enjoy his company. Well, I'm sorry, Miss Montaigne. You won't be enjoying his company anymore. Marvin has been shot, killed. Oh, dear. No, that's... Terrible, simply terrible. I was so looking forward to this evening. It was to be a sort of reunion. Reunion? You see, we had quarreled. He said he needed money. He wanted me to lend it to him, and I refused. He came to you for money to pay off someone else? Well, I didn't care about that. I never expected to get back what I loaned him. But he had broken his last two appointments with me. I found there was a young girl involved. What was her name? Gloria. Mm-hmm. His second name? I don't know. He had been dating her? Yes. I told him, frankly, if he didn't give her up, he'd get no more help from me. And he gave her up? So he said. That's why I bought the theater tickets we were going to celebrate. Miss Montaigne, have you any idea to whom he owed that money? Not at all. But if that's why he died, then I'll never forgive myself for not helping him. You will try to find poor Marvin's murderer. Yes, that's our business. Of course. Oh, Sergeant. Yes, Miss Montaigne. It's a shame to have the theater tickets go to waste. Perhaps you'd care to be my guest? Thanks, but I'm busy tonight. Goodbye, Miss Montaigne. Juliana didn't strike me as the type who would be jealous enough to kill. I decided to check on her story about Gloria. I went back to Marvin's office. I checked his black book. I found four Glorias listed. I called the numbers. One was out of town with a show. One had gone back to Indiana. Another was working in the department store. And the fourth, Gloria Clinton, was at home. Tarinova. She was a dark-haired girl, about 18. Yes? Are you, uh, Gloria Clinton? That's my stage name. My real name is Gloria Beagle. Uh-huh. What show are you in? I'm not working now, but my agent's negotiating for a part in a new show. Marvin Jackson, your agent? How do you know? Well, I found your name in his book. You must have hundreds of names there. When did you see Marvin last... Three days ago, he asked me to meet him at a hotel. We went dining and dancing. 
We went to the Scarlet Slipper Club and we drank real champagne. Who paid the check? Well, he did, of course. I told him he didn't have to take me to such expensive places. Gloria, was that your first date with him? He took me out twice before, always to some fancy place. You sure you weren't in his office today? Answer my question, Gloria. No, I wasn't. He told me not to bother coming up. He said as soon as he got news about the new show, he'd call me. Is anything wrong? Well, you better get yourself another agent. Marvin Jackson is dead. Dead? He had an accident? He was shot. Shot? Well, who did it? We don't know yet. But a cowboy saw a girl come out of Jackson's office. Girl with pretty legs. That description could fit you, Gloria. Thank you. I mean, about having pretty legs. That's why Marvin sure he'd get me in a show, but I haven't been near his office for weeks. Did he by any chance tell you that he owed somebody $500? No. All we talked about was show business. Mm -hmm. Gloria, what shows have you been in so far? None. You ever been on the stage? No, sir. Where are you from, Gloria? Alabama. Been long in town? About three months. Did you give Marvin Jackson any money to get you a job? Now, why should I do that? He's supposed to get me a job for free, and then I pay him 10%. Okay, Gloria. I may get in touch with you again. What for? You never know. Leaving Gloria, I had the same reaction as when I left Juliana. Gloria sounded innocent enough, but... Many a person with a face like a cherub is a murderer. And at the station house the next day, I got a call from Juliana. Said she had some important information. I went up to see her. I'm sorry, Sergeant. I couldn't give you that information over the telephone. Why not? I just happen to value my life. I don't get it. Haven't you heard of wires being tapped? Oh, I don't think you need worry about that. Well... Remember my mentioning the fact that Marvin wanted me to lend him some money? One thousand dollars? Yeah, and you uh, turned him down? Yes. I know now why he needed the money. Why? To pay off a debt. He uh, gambled, you know. Who did he owe it to? Frankie Hines, a racketeer. Frankie Hines was a known muscle man. Smooth operator. He hired the best mouthpieces and gave us the laugh when he beat the rap. Frankie had a suite of rooms in an office building downtown. The sign on his door said, Frank Hines, construction consultant. He told the girl I wanted to see him. A few minutes later, she ushered me into his private office. He was dressed to the hilt, big grin on his face. Sergeant. Well, it's nice to have the police come in with their problems. You uh, might know the answer to this one, Frankie. Always glad to cooperate. You ever hear of a man named Marvin Jackson? Marvin? Sure, I know Marvin. Gets me tickets for shows. You ever play cards with him? Sometimes. He's a scared gin rummy player. What did he lose last time? Oh, about a thousand. I blitzed him a couple of times. When he couldn't pay, you blitzed him again. For good. <laughs> I don't need money that bad. You let him have it right through the heart. Bingo. Bingo. Such language, Sergeant. 
I'll prove it to you. Kenny! Kenny? Who's Kenny? One of my boys, Kenny Reynolds. You call me? This is Sergeant Brad Peters. He wants some information. About what? Marvin Jackson. You're going to give it to him. Hey, I don't get you, Mr. Hines. Were you in the office here when Marvin Jackson came up to pay me some money? Oh, sure. Let me take over, Frankie. Go ahead. Be the DA. Kenny, how much money did Marvin Jackson give Frankie? Nine fifty. There you are. I've got a witness to prove he paid the debt. Was it a check? He gave Frankie nine C-notes and a fifty. Anything else you want to know, Sergeant? Yeah. Would you have any idea who would want to bump off Marvin Jackson? Nope. You come to the wrong place. A girl came out of his office right after it happened. Do you know any girl who was sore at him? He was quite a chaser. This one had very pretty legs. Well, one sure thing couldn't be my secretary. Sorry, you won't find anything here. This is a legitimate business office with homely secretaries. Every lead ended up at a stone wall. I'd have to check every name in Marvin Jackson's book. As I thumbed through the pages, wondering where to start, the phone rang the station house. Sergeant Peters, homicide. Oh, howdy, Sergeant. I got another case for you. Who are you? Well, don't you remember? I'm Roy Downs, a cowboy. Oh, yeah. You are? What is it this time? Just plain murder. You better come up here and take a look at the body. Where are you? Well, the address is 59 Quincy Street. I'll be waiting for you, Sergeant. Hello, Roy. Well, you came right fast. How do you happen to be here? I, I live here. I guess there's actors living in every room of this house. Just follow me. Okay. There she is. Gloria Clinton. You know her? I spoke to her yesterday. She was shot right through the heart. You said the same thing when we looked at Marvin Jackson's body. So I did, come to think of it. Did you know her? I never had the pleasure. But you lived in the same house? Oh, we just never met. Were you the first to discover the body? No, sir. It was the girl who lived in the next apartment. She screamed so loud, we all came running out. And when I saw what happened, I told him to leave it to me. I told him, you were a personal friend of mine. Well, she went into this Gloria's room to borrow some bobby pins and found her this way, dead. I figured you'd want me to question her, so I did. Oh, yeah. You're, you're being very helpful, Roy. I, I got something else to tell you, Sergeant. What is it? Take a good look at Gloria's legs. What about them? Ain't they the prettiest legs you ever seen? What are you driving at? Look, I got a feeling that those were the legs I seen coming out of Marvin Jackson's office. Yes, sir. I recognize them red shoes. Seemed a strange coincidence that Roy Down should be present immediately after both murders. After sending for the coroner and leaving a patrolman in charge, I took Roy down to the station. I questioned for hours, but I couldn't shake his story. The report came in from ballistics. The bullet that killed Marvin Jackson and the bullet that killed Gloria Clinton were fired from the same gun. 
So if Gloria was the girl who came out of Jackson's office, she must have found him dead when she got there. Why did she deny seeing him? Why was she murdered, too? I went back to search her apartment. Found a pack of letters, Alabama postmarks. One in particular interested me. It read, Dear Gloria, I'm so glad to hear that you're not lonesome anymore. That young man you wrote about, Kenny Reynolds, he sounds like a real nice young man. I wish you would send me a picture of him. All my love, Mother. Kenny Reynolds was that young punk I met in Frankie Hines' office. It'd be a real pleasure to talk to him again. I started over to Hines' place. As I neared the office building, I saw Kenny approaching a taxi that was idling at the curb. I shouted at the top of my voice. Hey, Kenny! Wait a minute! He turned his head, recognized me, and jumped into the taxi. And off it went. Another cab drove up to take that spot in front of the building, and I jumped in. I told the driver to follow Kenny's cab. Chased him for more than a mile. Down one street. Up another. Then he turned a corner. By the time we reached there, Kenny's taxi was at the curb. Kenny was running into an alley. I jumped out of my chair. Stop, Kenny, or I'll shoot! I fired in the air, and Kenny didn't stop. I ran after him. Into the warehouse he went. And it took a few seconds to get accustomed to the darkness. Why did you run, Kenny? I got a few questions for you about Gloria. You'll never get me. Drop your gun, Kenny. I'm out of there with your hands up. Don't make me laugh. You've got to get closer. Shut up! You like to drill them through the heart, don't you? I'll get you the same way, copper. Like you did Marvin and Gloria? Kenny, I'm coming after you. Come on! I stepped behind a stack of barrels piled on top of one another. I held my gun in one hand, and with the other I toppled them. As I expected, Kenny fired. I watched for the flash of his gun, and then I pulled the trigger. Kenny was oh. on the ground, holing his arm. Get him, doctor. I'm, I'm bleeding to death. Oh, you won't die so easy. Hey, hey, where are you going? I got your gun. Call a doctor, a doctor. Do something for me. I'm bleeding to death. Like all the punks. Please. You can't take it, huh? Come on, on your feet, Kenny boy. <clears throat> we'll patch you up nice and pretty for the trial. Name? Kenny Reynolds. The address? 1121 Dorchester. Charge? Murder. At the trial, Kenny admitted he had given Marvin Jackson $1,000 to advance Gloria's career on the stage. When Marvin failed to get her apart, Kenny demanded his money back. Marvin laughed at the idea, so Kenny killed him. Knowing Kenny's intentions, Gloria went to Marvin's office to warn him. But she was a little too late. And Kenny feared that Gloria might report him to the police. So he killed her, too. 
jury brought in a verdict of guilty of murder in the first degree. Jenny paid the penalty. Signed, Sergeant Brad Peters. Homicide. You have just heard Police Blotter, starring Bill Zucker as Sergeant Brad Peters. The cast included Roger DeCoven, Peter Fernandez, Elaine Ross, Nancy Sheridan, and Lawson Zerby. Tonight's drama, Murder on the Fourth Floor, was written by Ed Ettinger and directed by Clark Andrews. Police Blotter has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Welcome back. A pretty decently crafted uh, mystery overall. We were given a nice group of suspects and witnesses and even reasons to uh, suspect them of the crime. Uh, in many ways, the overall uh, way this plays out kind of reminds me a bit of Broadway is my beat, uh, only with even less uh, involvement by other members of the force. In Broadway's My Beat, uh, Danny Clover would go around, he would question the witnesses, he'd pretty much be on his own throughout the case. But he would talk to people back at headquarters, he'd consult with the lab boys. Brad Peters is just like, yeah, I'll just do the whole case myself. No need to bother anyone else. But overall, it was enjoyable, and if there's any more that actually uh, comes into circulation, I'd be glad to play it. Uh, this one, uh, this one particular recording, it's kind of interesting how I found it. Uh, essentially, someone had lo- uh, uploaded a bunch of 
Armed Forces Radio and Television Services recordings. It seems like they actually, you know, digitized them, uploaded them to archive.org, posted them there in like 30 big bunches of programs. And I just stumbled onto this big pile of programs and, you know, spent like 45 minutes going through there. Uh, to find anything relevant to, you know, great detectives or anything that, you know, screamed that it was something that I could uh, use. And uh, this is what I found. Uh, there was also a Richard Diamond episode, but it was one that was, you know, already in circulation. That doesn't happen every day, but for another episode of a series uh, that uh, we've got so very little on, I'll definitely take it. Now on to listener comments and feedback, and uh, we start with uh, Facebook from Bill. And he writes in regarding the big daughter. Uh, he says, a good episode today. A comment on last week's episode, The Big Ruling. I agree with Frank on strong coffee. Most coffee served at diners or other breakfast spots is nothing more than warmed up dishwater. I prefer 500 mile coffee. Coffee strong enough to keep you awake for 500 miles. My go-to coffee for the past few years has been 100% Kona coffee from Hawaii. I'm sorry to hear that Dragnet is ending and will be put on the shelf for a few years. I was hoping that you would restart it like you did uh, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Oh, well, change is good. Thanks. Well, thank you so much, Bill. Well, Bill, uh, it really was a combination of two things. Uh, first, that, you know, it's three years shorter uh, than uh, Johnny Dollar to go through all of Dragnet. And then I think secondly is that we do have some interesting uh, programs that I did want to play. Plus, I, I did find that when I took the break from uh, Dragnet, when we were playing the lineup and police blotter and things like that, uh, that I definitely was able to return to it with a bit more freshness uh, when we got started again. So I'm hoping we have the same effect uh, when we get back into Dragnet in Season 14. And then I got a question, and I'm somewhat annoyed at myself because I can't locate it, but I remember the gist of it, to talk about how radio actors were able to make money, even in cases where uh, they were only being paid a minimal amount. And I I think that the big answer to that is they just did a lot of radio. There are quite a few radio stars where the uh, number of performances they did reaches into the high thousands, in some cases up to 10,000. And that happens if you just appear, you know, in dozens of radio dramas. And if you're doing a dozen different appearances, and many could do a dozen a week easily at the height of the golden age of radio, you can make a good living that way. Now, obviously, there were a lot of variables in this. Uh, there were certainly jobs that would pay more. Uh, you know, Lux Radio Theater, Spence, they had kind of a rep company uh, feel where they would have a lot of actors in more often. And so there were uh, some actors who doubtless, you know, 
only got a small fee, but it was a small fee that was a little bit higher than union scale, depending on the type of job they were working. And of course, if radio wasn't, you know, your sole income, it could often be something that you did, you know, if there was a break in a play. You know, you've got, say, finished one play, and you've got a couple weeks before you get on another uh, play, you could, you know, uh, go down and get jobs on you know, half a dozen radio programs if you've got the right contacts. So radio could be a really good source of supplemental income, even for those who didn't make it a full-time vocation. And I hope that answers your question. Then I got an email here from Kevin. Uh, Kevin uh, sent me uh, a question uh, regarding whether the case of the careless victim is in the public domain uh, for the purposes of performing it. And my honest answer is, I don't know. I did uh, update my copyright page with this question because I generally get emailed about this a couple times a year and feel bad as I don't have any particular wisdom to impart. Uh, because when you're asking a question about whether you can perform a script, the question is not whether the recording is under copyright, it's whether the script is still under uh, copyright. And I have not had any interest in performing. From what I've read, I kind of felt like, you know, me personally, that uh, when I, I was at one time thinking about you know, doing something, getting together a group to perform a radio script. And I was thinking that it, to, be, to be safe, I should probably try and figure out, you know, who the heirs of the person who wrote it were. But I think just that, you know, was daunting enough that I never much pursued it further. But, you know, I, I think that that's, you know, something you may want to research further or, uh, consult with an attorney who's able to provide some pro bono advice, but yeah, I, I really don't have any insight on that. So, uh, sorry about that, Kevin, but thanks for the question. And then, uh, received an email regarding the court of last resort. Bishop Andrew uh, writes in, thank you so much for posting the show. I enjoyed it when young, and I'm glad that at least one episode survived. I esteem Earl Stanley Gardner because of his commitment to justice. Would there were more people like him today? All the best. Well, thanks so much, Bishop Andrew. And uh, there are actually at least six episodes of the Court of Last Resort that survive. We're going to play three of them in a row. Uh, including one tomorrow. Uh, so uh, uh, be looking out for that. Tomorrow we'll be bringing you that on public domain video theater. Uh, I do also want to mention that I have been reading through the Court of Last Resort book, and it's actually a really fascinating uh, read, talking about the real-life process of uh, establishing the court. Um, I've been enjoying it quite a bit. I'm like 40% through. I'll definitely be posting a review at greatdetectives.net when we're done with that one. Thanks so much for the uh, email. Now, our listener support campaign is continuing, so uh, I, I do encourage uh, listeners to check out our Patreon page. Patreon.greatdetectives.net can become one of our Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. 
And I want to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Talia, Patreon supporter since September 2018, currently supporting us at the Master Detective level of $15 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support. And join us back here tomorrow for the uh, Public Domain Video Theater and also our uh, listener support special. And then on Monday, we'll be back with Box 13. And next Saturday, Treasury Agent. In the meantime, send your comments to Box 13 at GreatDetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.